Thank you, Bill. If you have your Bibles, if you will open them with me to the book of Daniel. If you have uh, been with us this summer, uh, you know that we have been uh, studying through the book of Daniel. And so here's kind of how this will go. This morning is the last of the... um, The book of Daniel is kind of split into two halves. Um, The the first half is the kind of narrative portion of that. The second half is prophecy and uh, gets real interesting. So next week, uh, Gary will continue our study and he'll, he'll conclude 7 through 12 in one week. That's a joke. You, uh, he will not do that. Some of you may be thinking, I wish, there's probably divided on that issue. Um, but we, will, we are going to continue through the book of Daniel. And um, as I was praying this morning, um, just believe that God has us here for a reason, and God has us here for a purpose, and so I look forward uh, to continuing through this book with you. You know, as we open up this passage, and we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at a very familiar uh, account to all of us, Daniel in the lion's den. Um, one of the mistakes that I think that we could make, and I've, as I've heard this passage preached throughout the years, is that we could kind of declare that all of you all kind of have a lion's den this morning and uh, that you need to be rescued from this lion's den and we create this metaphor and and, and we miss the whole point of this passage. The whole point of this passage is that you've got this man, Daniel, who believes in this God, this God who is mightiful and powerful and who is sovereign, and who Daniel knows this God loves and cares for him at a very, very deep level. And and this this man Daniel, who knows that God has a plan and a purpose for his people, and that nothing happens by happenstance, or nothing happens by accident, and so we get a glimpse into this man Daniel's life. And so when we see Daniel go to the lion's den... (laughs) a little bit later this morning, we see a man that because of his stance, because of his belief, because he knows who loves him, because he knows who holds the future, we see this man who is standing counterculturally and gets persecuted by being put in this lion's den. And you may say this morning, well, you know, what does that have to do with me? And I want to encourage you this morning, that as the people of God, that we believe and we serve the same God that Daniel served. Events that have happened over the past 24 hours just reminds us of the fallenness of this world. You know, if I'm sure I, I have resisted this and will continue to resist this. I did not turn on any of the news stations this morning to get the reactions to the mass shootings that have occurred. But real quickly, they're politicized and gained for a political power and political structure. And there's a temptation to fall into some of that and to completely miss out entirely that we are called as the people of God to be the church and to be able to stand in these times, and to be able to ourselves have a a hope within us, and to be able to live out 
and to, to be that light, that beacon that is displaying that, hey, we are a people who know hope. In a world that is dying and decaying, where political philosophies and cultural shifts are moving away from biblical principles and biblical standards, that we are a people, you can find hope here. You can find peace here. And if you are a believer, if you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've heard me say this often, you were not called for no purpose. I know that grammar there is probably wrong. Another way to say that is, you were called for a purpose. (laughs) God didn't save you to sit. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. And even if you don't know the details of what that is, I can tell you that the plan God has for your life is for you to display our great God to those around you that you're that light, that beacon of the mercy and the love and the grace of God and that we are to be a people who, like 1 Peter 3.15 says, are always ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. So, this book is very relevant to us. This chapter is very relevant to us. I had to this morning. Um, it's interesting what God does, um, especially in my life, as I have been wrestling with this text. God just revealed some sin in my life about um, just the way that I've been handling stress here lately and the way that I've handled certain things. And I just literally, on the way to church this morning in the car, I had to confess to my kids and my wife that I had to apologize, not only just apologize for that, but also to point them towards the reason that this was sinful is because I'm not trusting in God. (laughs) That if my trust and my hope is anchored in the Lord, then there's no reason for me to get into a selfish pity party (laughs) and say, I'm stressed, I'm tired, and therefore it's okay for me to display my anger and frustration towards you all for not doing what I said the first time. It's important that they do what I said the first time, but my attitude can be better. And so as as we dig into this, as we look into this, there are principles here that we're going to go throughout the way in the narrative, and then we're going to end with, um, uh, hopefully, a lot of application. I noticed that we do have a clock on the new pulpit, but I may ignore it this morning. So as we jump into this text, Daniel chapter 6, it seemed good to me, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now, couple of things really quickly. We may ask, who in the world is this Darius guy? And I'm going to give you the answer. We don't really know. It's thought that this may be a title, but even if this is a title, some people say this is a title for Cyrus, who we know is the 
big king over this time or this maybe one of his appointed rulers and who kingly authority is given. So when it calls him king uh, at various times in the text that that's appropriate. We don't know. What we know is this is a new boss. And it's a new boss. And if you've been following along with us in the book of Daniel, not only is it a new boss, but it's a new government. The Medes and Persians have come in and have taken over. The old regime is gone. And you have this man, Daniel, who had rose to prominence because of his faithfulness to God and the favor that God had given him in the sight of the Babylonians. You have this man now in this regime change at 80 years old. Fun, huh? And, and I'm tempted to preach a whole sermon on ending your life well uh, of the book of Daniel, 80 years old, and what we see in his life. I, I won't do that, but please take note of that, those of you who are more mature than some of the rest of us. But we find Daniel in his 80s, in the midst of this, and it's very interesting to me that the new regime had already noticed that this man, Daniel, there was something about him that we want him to be in this government structure in leadership as we are moving forward. In verse 3, notice when the king says this, it says that Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners, satraps, because he possessed, so he began to rise to the top because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. And before you think that this king had godly reasons, look at what the text said is the reason for why the king wanted to set him up. In verse 2, he's reorganizing and that the king might suffer no loss. That the king, as he was organizing this kingdom, saw something in Daniel and said, hey, we can hold this thing together with good quality people in our organization, in our government, and Daniel is one of those people. This did not go over well with his counterparts. And so we see in verse 4 and 5, then these uh, officials tried to find some grounds of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. And, And notice this, think about this. They could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. So much so that these men that didn't like him said, verbalized, we shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel. I know what you're thinking. Wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a world where we had people in high places that this could be said of them? There are no skeletons in the closet. There are no bodies buried anywhere. There there are no mistakes in the past that there were faithful men and women serving the people. This is who Daniel was. Notice, I love this. They couldn't find any accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. This reminds me of a passage in 1 Peter, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it, we're going to turn back here in a minute, but in chapter 2, in chapter 2, verses um, 13 through 15, it says, Submit yourself, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, 
whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is what Daniel was doing. Now, as we move forward, and he said, verse 5, No fault, unless we find it in the law of his God. Then the commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king. So they're going to create this accusation. They're going to create a trap for Daniel. And they said, notice this, King Darius, live forever. You see the irony here? That the king had identified this man Daniel and said, this is the kind of man that I want in charge of my government. These men were jealous. We're like, we've got to do something with this with this Daniel guy, and so they go to the king and they create this proclamation, this lie, O King Darius, live forever. If these, king, if these men really had the king's best interest of heart, they would say, man, you found a good man here in Daniel. But what we see in their hearts was what we see in the hearts of many men and women today, jealousy, strife. And so they have this plot to get Daniel... Verse 7, all the commissioners of the kingdom and the, and the prefects and the satraps and high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute to enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so it may not be changed according to which the law of the Murds and Pe- Persians, which it may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. And then in verse 10, and we're going to hang out here for a little bit. So you understand what's happened. These guys have come to the king and they've tricked him and they've made him sign something which was a binding law according to the culture. And he signed this thing. And notice, notice with Daniel, I, I would ask maybe, what would you do? And I think many of us would do things like, you know, I'm going to keep praying, and the Word says I can go into my prayer closet, and I'm going to go in my prayer closet and pray. Notice what Daniel does. And notice what is pointed out to us. Now when Daniel knew the document was signed. You get that? He knew the document was signed. He entered his house... Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees there, knees three times a day, and praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Now, this verse is packed with some wonderful things. The first thing that I want you to see, and the first thing that I want you to know, is that Daniel sat there praying with the windows open. I think not only many of us may have gone to our prayer closet, most of us probably would have shut the window. Daniel does what he always did, as he had been doing previously. He opens his window towards Jerusalem, he kneels on his knees, and he prays. Now, something that is just awesome that I want you to see. 
I'm going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. This is just a glorious thing. Um, a, lot of, a lot of commentators don't even point this out. And, and I think we, we miss a blessing by not seeing this. But in 1 Kings chapter 8, um, verses 46 through 50, Solomon was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And, and here's what Solomon says. He's, he's praying here. He's dedicating uh, the, the Ark to the temple Listen, listen to this. He's talking about future generations. When they sin against thee, God, for there is no man who does not sin, and thou art angry with them, and dost deliver them to an enemy, so that they take them away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Sound familiar? If they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive and repent and make supplication to thee in the land of those who have taken them captive, saying, we have sinned and committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly. If they return to thee with all their heart, with all their soul in the land of their enemies who had taken them captive and pray to thee toward their land, which thou hast given to their fathers, the city Thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built to them, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people who have sinned against thee, and all their transgressions which they have transgressed. One of the points that I have tried to make to you during our study of the book of Daniel is that Daniel knew his Bible. And he knew the condition of his people. And as this petition was made forward, instead of trembling because of the potential consequences of this, he looked to the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, who had inspired these texts. And he was not going to let this edict push him away Push him away from offering prayers of repentance, pleading with God, pleading with God to come and rescue them. And you may say, Lewis, how do you know that's what he was praying? I'm glad you asked. Look over in chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the Median, the, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed the books, the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. We will get there later. I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, I said, alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments, we, we have sinned and committed iniquity and acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from Thy commandments and ordinances. And it goes on and on and on. Daniel 
giving us a glimpse into his prayer life in chapter 9, showing us what he is doing as he is on his knees, facing Jerusalem, making prayers and supplications to God. He knows where his strength and where his deliverance comes from. One of our elders sent us a video a couple weeks ago, and John Stone Street says this, and it's so relevant to what we're studying. He says, we can't stand in our moment and try to make sense of Scripture. We must stand in Scripture and make sense of our moment. We don't stand in our moment and try to make sense of Scripture, we stand on God's Word to make sense of what's going around us. The key is, is that this is what carried Daniel. When the world was crashing down around him, he wasn't running to the Bible to try to make sense of things. He knew, because of, he had this radical, God-centered worldview that when he looked at the chaos going on, he knew the God he served, he knew that God had plans for his people, and he stood firm and encouraged because of what he knew to be right from God's word. Now, I think this is, there's a lot of irony here. Notice that these men who come and are accusing Daniel They're accusing him, and they found his weakness in that he was praying. See the irony? What they didn't know is it it was these prayers that provided the strength for this man. Notice, Notice as they come and make this charge before the king in verse 12. It says, then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or beside any god or man beside you, O king, for thirty days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king answered and said, The statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. They answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, notice this, Daniel, who is one of those exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Besides some of the lies inherent in here and the fact that he paid no attention to the king, when we know that he very well knew what the king's injunction was, notice the language they used to Daniel. Notice the language. It's not meant to be nice. One of the exiles from Judah. Think about it. Daniel, 80 plus years old had lived in Babylon longer than he had been in Judah. He was brought out of Judah as a teenager into this land. And these men, instead of giving him any kind of praise or adulation or any kind of standing, said, this exile from Judah. In their minds, that's all he would ever be. I think one interesting side note here, Are you comfortable 
Are you comfortable with the fact that if you are a believer in Christ, you're never going to be at home in this world? You're always going to be in exile. There's always going to be a point of rub with culture. There's always going to be a point of this is not our home. There's always going to be a sense of longing, longing for a, for a rain to come. I think Daniel was. Then we move and uh, throughout the story. Sorry, there's a lot here. And I want to get to the bulk of the application in a moment. I want you to notice this king. I want you to notice. I want you to notice how he treats Daniel. You know, earlier in this book, in chapter three, when uh, verse sixteen, when Daniel, uh, when his three friends were before Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, sorry, verse fifteen. Same kind of deal. These these friends were being caught. And uh, notice that it says that as Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, he gave them another chance at the sound of the horns to bow before the statue. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar says here at the end of this verse, chapter, verse 15. But if you will not worship, you will be immediately cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Notice verse 16. What Darius says. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Notice the difference. Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and the signet ring of his nobles, so that nothing might be changed regarding Daniel. Now, how in the world, how in the world did this king know of Daniel's God? It tells us, doesn't it? This king whom you, what? Constantly serve. That this king... I just imagine that he had spent some time with Daniel and Daniel had recalled the wonders of his God. I don't think, I think we get a clear picture. Daniel wasn't this brash, um, beating you over the head type of guy. But just as he lived, he was so gripped by the love and mercy of God in his life that it just oozed out of him. And that you couldn't be around Daniel without hearing about his God. Notice the difference between the king's distress and Daniel's calmness. Notice verse 18. The king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no entertainment was brought before him and his sleep fled from him. As you can imagine, during this time in a king's palace, every evening was probably a party and there was any kind of food you wanted and any kind of entertainment that you, that you could have. And this king was so distressed that he couldn't eat and he couldn't sleep. Verse 19, Then the king arose at dawn and at the break of day and went in haste 
to the lion's den. This king was so uptight and so was so nervous that he went with haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near to the den, he cried out, notice, with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, again, notice this phrase, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the den of the lions? And Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury whatsoever was found on him because he had trusted in the Lord his God. Now, Here's what I want you to see. The king, the powerful, all the luxuries you could imagine, all the financial, anything that money could buy, the king had access to, the best foam mattress you could imagine. The power to do anything that he wanted. Daniel, in a pit amongst lions with rocks. Who do you imagine had a good night's sleep? One of the things that this book teaches us, and we have got to come to grips with, is that the peace that many of us seek, the rest that many of us are looking for, often comes in the eye of the storm. It often comes in the den of the lions. What the world says should provide comfort and safety will not cure your anxiety. It won't do it. But a rock-solid trust and belief in a God that loves you and cares for you, you can be at rest and at peace even in the middle of a lion's den. One of the things that kind of came to me as I was preparing for this is this. Would you rather know the peace and the love of God or would you rather just know the peace that the world offers? Another way to say this, and I don't have the time to make all of the connections here, but here's another way to say this. God's plan for you is not your worldly comfort. God's plan for you is your sanctification. God's plan for you is your growing in your trust and your faith in the God of the universe, in your becoming more like Him. That is God's plan for you, and that is what is best for you. But what I would ask you is, are you buying into that? Let's finish the story. 
Let's finish the story. Verse 24, the king gave orders and they brought the men who had maliciously accused Daniel and cast them and their children and their wives into the den. This was a, this was a law according to the Medes and Pers, the Persians that when something uh, atrocious had been done, not only did the people who had done it, not only were they punished, but also uh, their families were punished and they were thrown into the lion's den and the lowers overpowered them. And then Darius the king wrote to all the people, notice this wording again, nations and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in, that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. And then we've got another doxology, one of many in this chapter. And notice the themes that we get over and over and over and over and over again in this book. We find in this doxology. For He is the living God. The living God. The active God. And He is enduring forever. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. The Babylonians come and go. The Medes and Persians will come and go. But God's kingdom lasts forever. And He rest, delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth and has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is just, this is just an amazing story. And what we get here, I want to go to three points and then application, but that God is able to deliver those who trust in Him. And let's be careful. Let's be careful. As, as I mentioned before, when we made this point a couple of weeks ago, all of you know church history and say, well, there are martyrs throughout church history who God doesn't spare their life. But let me say this. How much greater is it to be delivered from this world? Stephen the martyr's delivery from this world into heaven, he would come and tell you, my deliverance was much better than Daniel's. Daniel still had to live in this world I got to be ushered right into the presence of my Lord and Savior like that. God delivers His people. Earthly kingdoms and powers will come and go. Our God and His kingdom is forever. And and that's what we're going to get into more over the next couple of weeks. That's the second thing. Third thing here is that God is faithful and He answers prayer. As I said in the beginning of this, so Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And what we know that happened under the reign of Cyrus is that the Jews were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And not only did they go back, but the things that were taken went back with them. And they started to rebuild the temple. And I can't but help but think that God answered Daniel's prayer. So, Christians, brothers and sisters, where is your allegiance this morning? Is your allegiance to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you realize, as we have said over and over, that you are exiles living in a foreign land? This world is not your home. And I want to briefly give you five things. Number one, 
what we see from this, the life of Daniel and what we see over and over in these chapters is that God has given us the resources and the strength to endure. His Word, His prayer, fellowship of other believers. And this is to be part of our normal rhythm of life. Notice when Daniel went to his upper room, it wasn't in a moment of crisis, it was just part of his normal routine. Brothers and sisters, are the rhythm of your life such? Are you communing with God in such a way that when troubles or persecution may hit, that what carries you through that is your normal rhythm of communing with the Lord? He has given you those through His Word, through His prayer, through the fellowship of other believers. The second thing that I want you to see the second thing that I want you to see is that all these resources that God has given us reinforce the God that we serve. He loves you. This God is personal. And He is living. And He is enduring. And He is sovereign. What I mean by this is that not only has He given us the resources, but within these resources... These are the big ideas that we get about this God which enables us to find comfort in His arms even when, even when we find tr- trouble. Thirdly, thirdly, brothers and sisters, is your dependence upon God and not in culture or circumstances. If God is who He says He is, it changes our worldview. Again, this God whom Daniel served constantly. Daniel lived in such a way that he constantly, we knew what his worldview was, that he served this loving, sovereign God. And notice that Daniel, this was first and foremost in his life and not a label. We don't ever see Daniel saying, I think he was probably proud of his Jewish heritage just because he knew he was one of God's children and what God was going to do in and through him. But we never see Daniel take on a label and be proud of that. You may know where I'm going here. What defines you? Does your belief, does your trust in the God whom you serve define you? Or does the D, R, or I define who you are? Democrat, Republican, Independent. There may be more, whatever. You get the point. One of the problems with the church that I see, and I just want to put this out as a warning, and you know I have... Stepped into these waters several times and it may make some of you uncomfortable and that's okay. But I'm gonna, I want to say this as definitively as possible. There is no political party that is lining up with Scripture. It's not happening. It's not happening. I get it. I vote. Right? I voted... No, I'm just, 
what I want to ask you, and the problem I see with the church, is that in our days and times, when the chaos and the trouble comes, many times what we're doing is aligning ourselves with political parties versus being on our face before the living God of the universe and saying, what's going to change this world, what's going to change our culture, is people who love the Lord their God and are constantly on their face praying for things to change. God may use political parties to do that. I don't know what His plan is, but I am saying what should define us is not our labels, but our God. Third thing, fourth thing, don't retreat. (laughs) The other thing we see from Daniel, the tendency that we all have is that when we see culture, when we see politics going into a certain way, the tendency is to want to retreat. And notice, notice that God had Daniel in a very important place for a very important reason. And so you and I, you and I should all run for office. No, I'm not saying that. But some of you should. Some of you should. Can you imagine? And this has happened. This has happened. But could you imagine if we were able to vote for a man or a woman that you just knew there was nothing that you could find against them in their past or in their platforms of any dirty stuff except for the fact that they were a crazy Christian who believed in a sovereign God who who believed that heard their prayers. We need Christians involved in this arena Christians who are loving, who are grace-filled, who are word-saturated, who are prayer warriors. People who don't use the faith to get the office. (laughs) And I'm praying that God will rise up men and women in this vein. Lastly, fifthly, lastly, expect to suffer. Expect to suffer. If we are being countercultural, expect that suffering is going to come your way. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 21, servants, be submissive to your masters. Interestingly, do you think of yourself as a servant, as an exile in this land that we're in? Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. I'm not saying we need to go out looking for suffering, but I am saying if we are countercultural, we will suffer to some degree. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, it's my prayer that God would be breathing into us, breathing into our hearts a vision of Himself. That we are gripped by His love, we are gripped by His mercy, we are gripped by His sovereignty, 
And that emboldens us to be the people He has called us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to confess for myself, God, how often I fall short. How often I drift away from thinking about who You are and the promises that You have given to me. And I lean on my own understanding that I look to things of this world to save and comfort me. God, I'm so thankful for this book. I'm so thankful that You gripped Daniel in such a way, in such a way that he in the midst of difficult times, stood firm. God, I pray that you would create this boldness and this courage in all of us that the world may know the hope that can only be found in your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and whose name we pray. Amen. As we like to do, we're going to close 